Praise God. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. 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 I'm so glad that God shows up every week. Every week he's here in a mighty way and his presence is always strong. Amen. Amen. Uh, So if you'd like to go with me this morning to Colossians 1 verses 27, um, I'll be starting from there. The scripture is talking about God's people and how we as believers in Jesus, we we get to see things and we get to experience things that people who came before Jesus could only dream about. Have you ever thought of that? While they were sacrificing bulls and lambs and birds and other animals to atone their sin, they could never completely take away their sin. It would only roll it to the next year and to the next year. But with one man, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice and that counts forever for anyone and everyone and whoever believes in him and follows his word. And so in this scripture, he's talking about how marvelous that is. And he says in verse 27, I'm reading from the NIV, it says, to them, which is us, God's people, God has chosen, and that means that he didn't have to, but he did. How many of you know that you didn't have to have breath this morning. You didn't have to have life this morning when you woke up. Amen. But he chose. And he has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. And that is everyone who isn't Jewish. It's not just one specific group or a geographical location that he has revealed himself. And so he says that he has made himself known the glorious riches of this mystery. And what is that mystery that Paul is referring to? It says that it is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And which is hard for us to remember sometimes, I think, because we think of Jesus just being this big guy in the sky, and and if we pray hard enough, and if we pray long enough, that he will come down, maybe, and be with us. Or Or we think of God being out there somewhere far from us. Have you ever felt far from God? And so, he's up in the sky and he is all around us, but this is way better. It says, Christ in you. And because he is in you, if he is in you, you have the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. 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 And so this morning, I want to preach to you today about a mysterious encounter. A mysterious encounter. An encounter with God that Colossians refers to as a mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that God works in mysterious ways. God works in mysterious ways. And if they don't believe you, just tell them to look in the mirror. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for an encounter, Lord, that we can have with you, Lord Jesus, that we can experience as a result of you dying on the cross. Thank you for being risen so that you can come alive and take up some residency in us. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to forget that we can have you, the hope of glory living in us, Lord, and working through us. Lord, I pray that you would anoint your word and speak through me this morning, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You, You may be seated. And so I want to I want to actually go to John chapter 11 verses 23. And when you understand what John 11 is saying when Jesus went to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, 
And Jesus said to Martha in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered and said, I know that he will rise again. Duh, in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And so you see, when you understand the magnitude of that statement, you will understand that resurrection is not something that Jesus did. It is who he is. And that means that anything Jesus touches has to get up and, in, and live again. Amen? And any life that Jesus inhabits has to live again. And with, with that in view, we can say that every scripture is about Jesus pointing to him and talking about him or directing us his way. And since every scripture is about Jesus and he says that I am the resurrection and the life, every Bible story is a resurrection story. Amen. Amen. And so last week we celebrated the historic event of his resurrection but I want you to know this morning that it was not meant to be just a historic event. Amen? It's meant to be personal. It's meant to be in a personal experience that through his resurrection power, we are now able to experience Christ in us. Amen? And so I want to focus on a story this morning in the Bible of an encounter with Jesus that changed a woman's life and in return changed many lives. And I believe through this story that there are some things that God wants to show you in our relationship with him. And we're going to see the power of one encounter with Jesus Christ. And not for just that one person, but for everybody that that person would impact. And is that okay this morning? Amen. So I'd like to pick up in John chapter 4, and we will start in verse 1 so that you would understand the context of the story. John 4, 1 says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Okay? So the John that is, they're referring to there is John the Baptist, obviously. And so when you are baptizing more people than the man nicknamed the Baptist, you're doing pretty good, right? And so Jesus is growing in his popularity and people are are starting to talk, particularly, particularly seen in, in, ver, in this verse, the Pharisees are starting to talk, who are the religious ruling class of Jesus' day. And, and so rumors are starting to spread about the work that Jesus is doing. And verse 2 says, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so the rumors were not entirely accurate, right? But when has that ever stopped people from talking? They are talking about Jesus, and you would expect since he, he came to save the world that he would capitalize on this opportunity to announce that he is the Lord and the ruler and the Messiah to everyone because now he has the open door, if you will. He's got some buzz going on. Everyone will start tweeting about him. And the perf he's got the perfect opportunity to gain this massive media reports and gaze ma gain massive popularity as, as the Messiah. But it says in verse 3, and this is strange because it says that he left Judea, which is the place that he had been ministering in the south. And he went back once more to Galilee, which was his hometown in the north. And so this seems strange, but verses 4 is even more strange because it says... Now he had to go through Samaria. And so 
That makes me interested because it says that he had to go. Why would Jesus have to go anywhere? He is the CEO of the universe, and he doesn't normally have to do anything. And what's even crazier is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. You see, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and and Jewish people hated Samaritan people, and Samaritan people hated Jewish people. It was a conflict that had been going on for centuries. It wasn't like they got mad last week because of their favorite sports team lost against their other, the other team. But we're talking about centuries of, 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 of conflict and racial tension and religious tension and ethnic tension between these two cultures. And so most Jews, if they were traveling to Galilee in the north from, Ju- from Judea in the south, they would walk around Samaria. It wasn't the shortest or the most direct route, but they would rather travel out of their way and go around Samaria so that they would not have to run into a Samaritan. And so most everybody would have gone around Samaria, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. And here is why. Because Jesus will always move away from religious drama and towards the needs of people who are hurting. Amen? Jesus will always go out of his way to find and minister to, to people who others will go out of their way to avoid. Amen, did you get that? Jesus will always go out of his way to find and minister t- to people who others will go out of their way to avoid. Amen, isn't that awesome? Praise God. I heard this story of a young lady. She lived a, a, a rough life, and most people called her worthless, and, and she one day hit rock bottom to the point where she decided to go to church. And even though she didn't fit in because she was in a small town and the only church that she knew of is the one that she had attended when she, when she was growing up, and she knew that everybody in that church was dressed up and they thought very highly of themselves, and, and she didn't have any church clothes, but she put on what she had, and, and she went anyway because... She was that desperate. Because life can hit you hard enough sometimes where you get to a point and you do not care what others think of you. You just need God. Amen? And so she came to a church and her shirt was probably a little too low cut and her jeans were probably a little too tight. But she came and went anyway. And and when she was leaving the church, she enjoyed it very much. She enjoyed the singing and she enjoyed the sermon and she was walking out of the back door And the pastor was in the back shaking everyone's hands, as he always did. And as she walked out, um, and when she walked by to him, uh, the the pastor said, "Um, I just want you to, before you come back next time, if you come back, I want you to ask God and pray about what you should come and wear to my church. And so before you come back, do that. And if you even come back, well, she came back the next week and, and uh, she was kind of embarrassed about it, but she came again anyway and the preacher was appalled to see her wearing the same shirt and the same pair of jeans. Still too much showing and so he thought to himself, this is, this is just too much. And so this time he met her at the back door a little more boldly and he said, young lady, I thought I talked to you about this. I thought I told you before you come back to pray and ask God what you should wear to this church. And she said, oh, oh, I did. I, I prayed. And, and he said, you, 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 you did? And she said, yeah, I prayed about it. And I asked God what I should wear to church. And, 
And the preacher said, well, then what did God say? And she said, well, God said that he didn't know what I should wear because um, he's never been to this church before. You see, God won't show up or stay around long at a church that is more about keeping people out than bringing people in. And, and that is what the Pharisees were, no, were known for at this time. I'm sure that the Pharisees' hearts had started out in the right place, but they had formed a little club where it became more about arguing about God than about experiencing God and offering the presence of God to others. Amen? And so Jesus said, you can all argue about who is baptizing more, me or John. You, you can all debate but I am out of here I gotta go somewhere and I have to meet with somebody I have work to do because Jesus is always moving away from religious drama and moving towards the needs of hurting people and so if you are a hurting person today if your situation is complicated today if your life is a little tore up today if there are people in your life who do not understand how you ended up here today I want you to know that Jesus is coming straight for you amen Amen. And I want you to know that you are in a church that exists so that you can experience the presence of God. Amen. Amen. And so I'm just curious who is so important in Samaria that Jesus would go there. Samaria, the worst place that he could possibly go probably back in that day. I could even imagine Peter when Jesus was like, come on boys, we're going to Samaria. And, and because, you know, Peter was the outspoken one and always saying stupid stuff. But I can see him saying, Jesus, what, what area are we going to? And, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Not some area. Some area. Get it? Oh. All right, that was bad. I have something. <laughs> He's saying, I have something. I have something to do. I have work to do. I have an important encounter that I need to make. Now, now, he is meet now who is he meeting with? Who is so important that Jesus would have to go to Samaria where he is hated around people who he is supposed to hate to have an encounter with one person. And there is an important meeting, but who is this person? Is it, is it the president? Is it the king? Is it a ruler of that day? Verses 5 actually tells us, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and it was an important landmark for the Samaritans. But it wasn't just a landmark, it was actually a functioning well. And it actually is still standing today. Um, and if you go to that part of the world today, you can actually still get water from it. And so Jesus said, or Jesus, as tired as he was, it says, and I love the fact that, um, that it says that he was tired because that reminds me that he was fully God and fully man at the same time. And so that he can identify with me. Whatever I am going through, when I am lonely, I can remember that he was lonely. And when I am, I am, I am tempted, I can remember that he was tempted. And when I am tired, I can remember that he was tired. And, amen. And so he was tired as he was from the journey. He sat down by the well and it was about noon. And so he's sitting down, waiting at a well for someone. And in the next verse, we get to see who he is waiting for. So what follows is actually the longest recorded conversation in the Bible between Jesus and someone else. And so verse 7 tells us who was on the other side of that conversation. 
It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. You see, any Jewish person that was reading this would have been appalled because not only was she a woman, and most Jewish men didn't speak much to women because they thought that it, it, they weren't worth it. You don't speak to a woman and a, and a Samaritan woman. You know, when we think of a Samaritan, we think of the Bible story, the good Samaritan. Well, to the Jews, that was actually a contradiction to what they actually felt, and that is why Jesus shared the story to them, because it shocked them. So good Samaritan, what, what does that even mean? That, that was like an oxymoron to them. That would have been like me saying jumbo shrimp. Like, that just doesn't make sense in the same sentence, right? So, now here is Jesus, and he speaks to somebody that most rabbis wouldn't even look at. Most Jewish rabbis weren't even allowed to look a woman in the eyes in public. And here is Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And verse 8 says, His disciple had gone into town to buy some food. You know, they went to go get a nice cop's burger down the road. And I know I'm making you guys hungry now. But verse 9, if you watch the woman's attitude when she responds, uh, who is this woman? Um, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And watch her attitude. I, I, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so in other words, you people do not talk to us unless you want something. Have you ever met somebody like that? You do not talk unless you want something. You want me to get you a drink. I don't even know you. What do you want from me? You are going to see in a moment why she responded this way because all of her life had been about people taking from her. And when, she, when, when life had been, has been like that for you and you feel like you have been taken advantage of and, and you feel like people have been, been taking and taking from you and, and you feel disappointed and disappointed and let down and let down, there is a sense in which you approach God like he is a taker just like everybody else and when all all you ever hear about is what God wants from you you're actually missing the point that anytime he asks something from you it is not because he needs it it's not because he needs it he is God and he wants something greater for you and that is the case that's happening here in this scripture. If you watch verses 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink. And it almost sounds like he's being a little cocky, like, you know, how people get when they get a little famous and they're like, Do you know who, I, who you're speaking to? Do you know who I am? And Jesus was really the only one who had the right to even say that and he wasn't even being cocky at all you, you know who he said you know who I am if you only knew who you were talking to and what is available to you in this moment you would have asked him and he would have given you living water Woman, I am not asking you for water simply because I am thirsty. If I was that thirsty, I would just hit this rock right next to us and make water come out of it like that, like I did with Moses in, in the Old Testament. Jesus could have done it even better. But the woman still was not able to understand, and so she goes off in verse 11. She says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and, well, and the well is deep. And on the surface, she is describing the physical well, but... On a deeper level, I wonder if she's actually describing herself 
and the, the well that's deep and you have nothing to draw with. Now, anytime that you come to God and you start out with the phrase, you have nothing, you're wrong, <laughs> okay? They told him that in John chapter 6 when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000. You have nothing to feed them with. And Jesus said, just bring your little fish and chips to me and I will multiply it and everyone will have a good old Wisconsin all-you-can-eat fish fry, right? And you'll still go home with doggy bags. And he's like, don't come at me like that because when you have Jesus, you already have everything you need. But the woman didn't know that yet because... A woman didn't know that yet because all she, all she could see was the external. You don't have a bucket. You don't have anything. You forgot your bucket at home, and now you want me to help you out. And the well is deep, and in fact, to this day, it's about 75 feet deep, even after all of the debris that has fallen into the well over the years, and it was probably even deeper then. But she was looking at the bucket. She couldn't understand what Jesus was trying to tell her. And, and so this woman came to the well at noon because she didn't want to be bothered by anybody. Nobody came to the well at noon. And do you know how hot it was at Jacob's well at noon? You, you, you either go before the sun comes up or after the sun goes down, but you never go in the middle of the day at noon because that was the hottest time of the day. And so it would have been the most crowded at dusk or at dawn but at noon, you can go and, and you can not be bothered. And so you have, you have to kind of feel for this woman, right? Because she went out in the middle of the day so that she wouldn't have to run into anybody. And then she met her maker, and she didn't even know it. <laughs> it was like, surprise, you have a God appointment. And so she came to the well with her bucket, just doing her daily thing, not looking for a God encounter and not looking to worship anybody, not looking to have her life touched, not looking to have her life changed. And, and then here is this Jew with his legs crossed on a well talking about he, how he has something better to give to you. He has better water to give to you. And so she's, looked, she's looking at this guy trying to figure out, how are you going to give me water without a bucket? And if you look at verse 12, by now she has her hand on her hip and she's all like, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? <clears throat> and as did also his sons and his livestock. And Jesus is thinking, it's funny you should mention that I actually made Jacob. <laughs> and Jesus is, and so everyone who, who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who comes to this well, it will satisfy you for a minute. Everyone who drinks from that bucket that you are putting down in the well will only last so long. But verses 14 says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them. And do you see that resemblance in, um, from Colossians Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus says you are so focused on the physical and what is around you that you are missing what I want to do in you. All you can see is the bucket, but the woman is not, it's not about the bucket, but there is something that is in you that will become a spring of living water welling up into eternal life. And so she came to a well with an empty bucket, and while she was there, she met a well who didn't need a bucket, Amen. right? Amen. 
You see, you do not need a bucket when you are the well. And so she came to a well and she met a well. Who is this woman so important that God in the flesh would wait on her? Who are you? Who am I that God Almighty would wait on us while we are running around trying to fill our buckets with something that we think will satisfy us? If only I had something better to fill my life with. If only I had more money. If only I had a new wife. If only I had a better job. You see, all the woman could see is the external things. And maybe she thought, maybe if I got a new boyfriend, will you, will you love me more? If I give myself to you, then will, will I feel loved? And then will I feel accepted? Maybe if I clean up my life a little bit, maybe if I get new friends, I won't feel so lonely. And maybe, maybe if I go to the bar, I won't feel so depressed and, and sad all the time. And maybe if I go to the gym and I lose some weight, I'll feel better, more, I'll feel more secure. Maybe if I make a new resolution, maybe if I get a bigger house, maybe this and maybe that will fill my life and make my soul more satisfied. And Jesus is waiting on us saying it is not about the external things of this world. It is not about the things that you can put into your bucket. How many things will you try before you realize that the reason you are not satisfied is because you are seeking the wrong things to fill your life. And it is because you are standing at the wrong well. Amen. He said, I am the real well, and he sits by a well so he can give this woman a comparison between Jacob's well, where you will continue to thirst, or you can go to God's well when never thirst again. And so Jesus is saying, I am the only thing that can satisfy your soul. You have tried Jacob's well and you are still thirsty. You have tried the things of this world and and are still not satisfied. Why don't you come to the real well and try Jesus? And, And the woman says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water. And it's like she finally gets it, but not quite. She says, so I do not get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. You see, she's still thinking, about the physical she's still thinking about the bucket and she's still focused on what's around her she's like so you have this magic water let me let me get some of that and show me show me where it is and and i guess jesus finally gets fed up with her because he's like we've been going around and around about this and jesus will try to show you something but if but then if you don't listen He will go deeper and deeper and deeper until he finally strikes that part in you that you have been trying to hide from him. And so he told her in verse 16, go and call your husband and come back. And so at the first, this sounds like a nice invitation, um, but you're about to see that this woman's situation, and as I told you, it's, it's a little complicated. And so she tells him the truth in verse 17, but not the whole truth. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right. You got that right. And when you say you have no husband and, and right there, she is thinking, whew, I dodged that bullet. This is why I came out here at noon because I didn't want to talk about this. I don't want to hear all the women gossip about me at dusk and dawn. And thank goodness he doesn't know. 
But as you're about to see in verse 18, he goes to that place that she wanted to hide and he speaks about those things that she wanted to forget in order to get to her real need. He doesn't give her what she hopes for, which was the water from Jacob's well, so that he can give her what she really needed, water within himself. And sometimes God will bypass what you are hoping for in order to give you what you are really needing. And so, amen. amen. And so verse 18 says, The fact is you had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What have you just said? What you have just said is quite true. Okay, so do, do you see how Jesus doesn't just let this woman sneak in out of the well? He, he says, will, he will, he will, he'll even do this to us. He, he, stay, he will stay after us because he cares for us. And some of you, God has been pursuing through all kinds of things and he will call out that very place in your life that you do not want anyone else to see. And he will call out that very place that no one ever wants, that you don't want anyone else to go. But he goes there because he has an all-access pass. And he sits down by this well and he says, your issue is you've been drilling all of the wrong wells in all of these places and you are still thirsty. You have been going to all of the wrong places and you are still not satisfied. Five husbands and shacking up with number six. Yeah, I know about that guy. And I know that after... After all of this, you are still not satisfied and you know what God knows about some of us here today and, and, and you're still not satisfied. Religious, but you're still not satisfied. And popular maybe, but still not satisfied. Maybe making a lot of money, but still not satisfied. Why aren't you satisfied? Jesus says you are drilling in the wrong places. You are trying to find it out there. And we can even do this with religion. We try to find it out there. We try and make a, a proposition with God. And that is why the woman, do, that's what the woman does in verse 19. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. You're either that or you're a stalker. And I haven't figured out which one yet. But let me ask you a question. Verse 20, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem and so what is she doing here she is deflecting she's she's it's just gotten too personal for her and so this man at, at the well is speaking about things that she doesn't want to talk about and so she changes the subject and and that's exactly what we would do with God sometimes and and Jesus said in verse 21 woman and I find that really funny that it's the longest story in the Bible, the longest encounter with a woman, a conversation that God has with a woman in the Bible, and we don't even know her name. When I was telling pastor and my wife what I was going to be talking about this morning, I said, the woman at the well. We don't even know her name because it allows us all to be this woman. And when I, and, and we, we can't even call her Mary or Martha and we can't even call her by her name what if people talked about you that way if they just 